inserting foot and, and doing crazy things. And then he becomes the, 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 the New Testament church leader along with Paul. Um, they, they start, you know, spreading the gospel throughout all different areas. And, and then we get to um, Peter's letters to the church. First uh, Peter and Second Peter, two different letters. And I thought, man, you know, what, what better way to kind of wrap up that thought process of Peter but then to just go through his, his first letter to the church and, and show the transformation of leadership and what he has to say to the church back then and how it's so impactful to today. Um, and, and so just a, a little backstory on this first letter of Peter, okay? This was written about mid-60 A.D., so this would have been roughly about 30 years or so after Jesus went to the cross. So Peter's, Peter's a, a wiser, older um, leader by the time he writes his, his first letter to the church. Now, Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Okay, Two-thirds of the letters of the, the New Testament are written by Paul. Um, that's a lot of writing. And, and, and Peter, uh, who is just as vital and just as important in leadership, he writes First and Second Peter, um, and then you've got a smattering of uh, a few other uh, leaders, John and Jude, and um, we don't quite know who wrote Hebrews. Um, there's a lot of speculation that it was Paul as well, but we'll really never know who wrote Hebrews because they do not um, identify themselves. But Peter, the, the first uh, letter that Peter writes to the church, it's written in about mid-60 AD, um, and it's written to the followers of Christ, and it's written to, um, it, he, he, you know, I'll actually, it wasn't part of my uh, scriptures that I have in front of me, but if you look at who he writes it to and how he writes it, it's, it's kind of interesting because he talks about being foreigners in a different land, right? And so this isn't up there. You're not gonna be able to follow along, but in 1 Peter, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he, you know, rec- he, he says who he is. Two God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providence of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing this to the church. He's writing this to believers that have actually been exiled, who have been scattered through all of this land. And it says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Okay, so he sets up the first letter and he lets people know, listen, I'm writing to you. You who have been exiled, you have been uh, chased out of your homes and out of your home countries, I'm writing to you this letter. Now, why, was he, why did he mention that? Because I believe that everything that's written in God's word is important. Um, and, and so when you look at what he says, he says, I'm writing to you as exiles. That means that something within the church, within the, the government, was, uh, was, was chasing these believers. And, and if you look at the Roman Empire of that time, um, the, the emperor of Rome was very anti-Christian, very anti-God, and he was chasing them out. And it wasn't just like, oh, hey, you don't have the freedom to pray at school or you don't have uh, the freedom to talk about God at your work. It was, if we find out that you're a Christian, we're going to kill you. So, so you got to recognize it wasn't just, um, hey, we're, you know, we don't like you. It's we want to we kill you because you have this belief in God. And so Peter, 
um, he, he's writing because could you imagine, I mean, we all go through struggles. We all have circumstances, right? I mean, how many, you know, would say, hey, in the last month, I've walked through something I don't like and I wish I didn't, right? So, and, and listen, this is not to belittle anything that we've walked through. Okay, so I want you to hear this, but I want to kind of give some, some balance to this. None of our lives were threatened in the last month for your faith in Christ, right? Now, we've walked through humanity. Everybody has. We all walk through human things, loss of uh, life, uh, struggles at work, financial struggles, uh, relationship, all these different struggles, they, and they've been going since the beginning of time. But the one thing that we don't have right now that I, I would say that we really don't have is we don't really have persecution of the church here, Right? Um, and, and so we don't know what it's like to have compiled on top of normal everyday humanity the fact that if you say that you're a follower, you could die. I, and, and, and I really believe that in America, when, when I think I do believe it's a win, not an if, whether it's, in, whether it's in our lifetime or not. Some do. 53 countries, it's still illegal. But listen, um, whether it's in our lifetime or not, I believe it'll get to a place in America where that persecution will come. And what will happen, I believe, is that it's going to show the reality, the truth of who really loves God and who just likes to go to church. And, and there's a massive difference, right? Because think about it. If, if, if it was illegal and it could cause you to have to literally leave your city if somebody found out that you were a Christian because they were coming after your life, you would really think twice about what do you believe? What, what am I really, who am I really if your life is dependent upon your belief? And so this is, these are the people that Peter is writing to. Now, Peter was known as the apostle of hope. Um, interestingly enough, Paul was, the, was known as the apostle of faith, and John, uh, the beloved, was known as the apostle of love. And it's interesting, when you put those three together, you get the three greatest things that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, which is faith, hope, and love. So interestingly enough, these, these apostles who were known for something also tie back into the Bible. God does all these things on purpose. It's not uh, happenstance. Faith, hope, and love. And these are the things that these three really strike down. So um, today, I want to kind of break down 1 Peter 1. We're going to do it in a, it's not going to be overwhelming. I encourage you to go back. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, um, but I'm going to pick some things that I really pulled out of there. Now, I want you to understand that the whole first letter, uh, the first letter of Peter um, has, has a theme, okay? And it was Christian hope in times of trial. So the theme of the first letter of First Peter was Christian hope in times of trials. What a great reminder for all of us as we're walking through tough times that, that there's a God that, that loves us, a God that cares for us, that there's always hope at the end of all the things that we walk through. I was texting somebody last night who's been walking through some stuff, and I just reminded her that, you know, in Romans 8, it says that for God so, you know, not, that's, that's, uh, that, that God works out all the, uh, for good for those who love him. Now, it doesn't say that all good things happen. It says that God works out for good. And so it's, it's that we walk through things, 
But if we trust him and we rely on him and we, and we sit at his feet and we are obedient to him, then he is going to take even our worst moments and he's going to work it for the good. Now, it may not look like the good for us at the moment, but it will always be good because it's for his glory. And when we sit and ask for his obedience and we sit in his presence, we want the best of him in our lives. Now, with all that said, and I remind you, we're not, we're not in fear of our life because of our faith walk, but there are seasons in our life where our faith journey can be tested, okay? So our faith, uh, you know, when we walk through something, how many have ever asked the question, God, are you there, right? God, are you listening? God, God do you care? Are you walking with me? Have you left me alone? Do you, do you even hear me? Like, we all walk through these moments in our life where our faith is tested because of the circumstances we walk through. So we may not be persecuted for our faith, but the, the enemy may use what we walk through to question whether or not God is really there. And so we, we walk through these moments, and Peter wants to speak to those moments through his, his books. It might be through circumstances that weigh us down, friends that mock us, culture that challenges us. But in the first chapter, we find two themes. In 1 Peter 1, we find two themes. Hope of eternal living and a call to live holy. And those are the two thoughts that I want to explore this morning. So we have a, a, uh, an eternal hope and we have a call to live holy. So let's look at the first one. The first one that, that, that Peter uh, brings us to is an a, a, a eternal mindset. Okay. He challenges us with not just focusing on the here and now, the moment that we're walking through, the struggles that we're dealing with. The, the, uh, our old pastor used to call it navel-gazing, you know, where, where you're so focused, you're just, you know, looking at your navel, which feels really weird, by the way. Uh, but how many have ever felt like they've walked through life and they're just like, oh, my goodness, my life, and heads down. I call it the Eeyore syndrome, you know. It's just where we're, where, where we're just so, oh, God, it's another day. I don't know what to do. And Peter calls us to get out of that mindset and into eternal mindset. So I'm going to read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. Now, this translation is the passion, passion translation. And so you can follow along. It says this, celebrate with praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and persevered forever in the heavenly realms for you. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last times. May the thoughts of this cause you to jump for joy, even though lately you have been put, uh, put even though lately you have put up with the grief of many trials. But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes. For every gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise, glory, and honor when Jesus, the anointed one, is revealed. Now, that's a lot to listen to. So I want to break it down, and I want to give you three things that I pulled out of that about eternal mindset, okay? So the first one is this, is he starts out with his praise is important. Praise is important. 
He starts out that whole thing with celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord and uh, Savior, Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. So praise is important. The enemy wants to quiet your praise. He wants to quiet your, 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 your mindset. He wants to quiet this spirit that wants to rise up and worship God and, and be thankful for him. And the enemy wants you to, to look at the negative. He wants you to look at the, the, the horribleness. He wants you to look at all the things that are going wrong in life. And he wants you to focus on that. Instead of like every day waking up, I, I, I heard this thing uh, recently. Um, and uh, it was, if you wake up, so this is science, psycho, psychological stuff, right? That if you wake up every morning and you tell yourself, man, I had a great night's sleep. You know that it fires neurons in your brain that will actually tell the rest of your body that you had a good night's sleep? And, and so, because how many have woke up and man, oh, I wish I could have a couple more hours of sleep, right? And, and so your body, your body triggers that like, oh, we're not rested. We're, 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 we're not ready for the day. And you get sluggish and, and you need other things, whether, you know, and I'm not bagging on coffee or, or, or energy drinks because I need those as well, right? So, um, and so, so the thing is, is that, is that what we think and what we say has power. The Bible's, and, and this is what Peter's saying. Listen, even though you're, and listen, you got to remember who he's writing to. These are not people that live in pretty houses, that life is going good. He's writing to people that are being chased down for their faith, that they've literally had to move because of fear of death. And he's saying, listen, even in the midst of this moment in your life, celebrate God, praise God, because he has showered us with extravagant mercies. And so if, 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 we, if they can go there, if they can get to that place, how much more so? Is God speaking to us today that praise is important, that we got to celebrate him? Wake up in the morning and proclaim over your life. Listen, this isn't voodoo. This isn't new age, you know, oh, name it and claim it. No, I'm telling you, the Bible says that we have the power of the tongue speaks forth life. Deuteronomy says this, I lay before you death and life. Choose life. Well, how do you choose life? You speak it. You think it. There's that power of, I'm not going to give you my space and allow you to change what God has given me in my spirit. If you come into my three-foot bubble, I'm going to give you all of me, which includes the all of the God that is in me. And my circumstances, though they may emotionally make me go up and down because we're human and we're not robots, I'm not going to allow it to define who I am. I'm not going to allow the identity of those things to become who I am. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to title me something that I'm not because the, the praise of my mouth goes to the one who created me. I wake up and I celebrate that God. And when I get down, I'm going to celebrate that God. And last week I talked about it when what we listen to, Right? It's no ploy that the, that, that the devil was the choir director in heaven before he got cast out. And, and this is not a bag on all secular music, but this is a, 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 uh, a pastoral, spiritual recommendation of what we listen to is important. Oh, I just, um, 
dealing with teenagers for 13 years, music was a big conversation, right? Because you listen to, and not, not, like I said, not all secular music is bad, but a lot of it is because it, it goes in the face of what we're trying to build our spirit up, you know? And, and I, like, I like country music. It's, it's one of my, my secular genres that I, that I do like to listen to. But, you know, even on a, on a playlist, there's a lot of songs in the country music that I will skip through. Why? Because I'm in love with my wife of 20 years. I don't need to hear a, a song that's talking about cheating. Right? Oh, but it's just music, Pastor. It, it's, it's just music until you've had a fight with your wife and somebody else gives you attention and you got that song playing in your head. It's, it's, just, it's just a song until it's not. It's just music until it's not. It's just a movie until it's not. And, and so it's not that we live in a bubble and we, we, we hide ourselves away from culture, but it's that we protect the spirit that was in a, within us, and we allow those things that are in us to be focused in on God, and, and we praise him. When you're down, when you're going through it, you probably need to throw some Christian music on and allow God's truth to speak over you. And I'm not even saying worship music. Like, worship music is great. I love worship music, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you like Christian rock. Maybe you like Christian uh, contemporary. Maybe you like Christian hip-hop. It doesn't matter. You can find it, okay? Let that truth speak over you. Praise is important. The other thing that, that out of this that, that Peter talks about is living with an eternal purpose. When we follow God, our purpose is set with eternity in mind. We are not living for the right now. I love what he says. Um, I got to find it again. When, so he says, he says, we are reborn to experience a living energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, be defiled, or be diminished. It is promised and persevered forever in the heavenly realm for you. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards until full of salvation. So here's the thing. He's saying, listen, your today may be tough, but you've got an eternity to be focused on. And if my job, if my, if my heart and my mind are focused on eternity, then, then, then I get past maybe some of the struggles of my life and I realize when eternity matters, what do I want to be focused on? If eternity is the goal, which, listen, I understand, sounds a little scary, but if eternity is the goal and if heaven is my gaze, then I'm going to let certain things fall at the foot of Jesus and not going to, listen, does it matter if you've had a bad day in the scope of eternity? No, you, you take a deep breath and you refocus. If you've had a bad day, at the end of the day, man, you just give it to God. God, I'm sorry, I was a, I was a bumbling fool. I did this, I said this. I let my attitude get the best of me. I let my emotions get the best of me. I let my addictive nature get the best of me. Whatever it is, you lay it at the foot of the cross. You say, God, I want to do better. And then what's cool about eternity is when you've got that focus, man, you want to take people with you. It's not good enough to show up at, at heaven's doors with my ticket to punch. I want other people to experience that. Because the alternative is that they don't experience that. And what we could scare people to hell all day long or scare people out of hell all day long. You know that that only lasts so long, right? 
the fear of the of hell only lasts so long because we can't see it. We can't. I mean, like you know, I could I could scare you. We used to do a, a play called Hell House um, when when we were teenagers in, in, in church, and it was effective. It was powerful, but it was scary. Like you know, demons coming at you, and uh, you know, choosing right and wrong, and heaven and hell, and all this stuff. And you could scare people into heaven for a moment, but when when it's just fear driven, not hope driven, not love driven, not God driven. They'll, they'll walk back out of it because they don't, nobody knows what hell really feels like. I mean, that's what, you know, how many people have heard, well, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to be partying it up with my boys. <laughs> okay. I don't think that's how that's going to work. But why? Because, because the reality of hell doesn't set in until you're there. Here's the, here's the scariest, I say scariest, here's the reality of hell. No matter how bad it is, God's not trying to scare you out of it. He's pursuing you so that you experience of eternity with him. Because the reality of hell, and the Bible talks about this, the reality of hell isn't that it's a bad place because it's hot and all the demons live there and, and devil's in control and blah, 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 blah. Hell is so wrong and so unattractive because God's presence will be forever taken away from you. Anything that you know of good cannot exist there. Every emotion, good emotion, will not be there. And so when I live with an eternal purpose, I don't allow the little things to direct my life because I've got to focus on who God wants me to be, and I'm going to race after that, and I want to bring people with me. I want to tell people, why, why, why did I ask Chris to share a little bit? Because he's, he's going through this, this, this ride spiritually right now in his life, this faith walk, and he is like, what is this? Why am I doing that? Why is this overcoming me? Because the power and the presence of God. But even more so, it's the fact that he's like, I just, I just want to tell people. See, it's, it's, not about, it's not about outward uh, expression. It's not about whether you're introvert or extrovert. It's about when God gets a hold of you, you just want to tell people. It's, it's, it's not even like, oh my gosh, I, I, I've got to make you do this. And so I'm going to drag you along kicking and screaming. It's, it's just like, hey, I have found something that has radically changed my life. And I want you to experience the same thing. You can choose it. You can walk away. I just, I just want to tell you about it. And, and it's, I always take it back to like a good sporting event or a movie, right? Like when you go to a good movie, you want to tell people, you got to go see this movie. You got to go check this out. When your team's winning, you're, 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 man, my team's on top of the world. Let's hope so. See, when good things happen, we want to share it. Right? John, you're a fisherman. When you catch good fish, do you take pictures of them? Why? Enjoy it and share it. You know that we're, 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 we're bred. It is spiritually in us to want to share things, to invite people into it. Now, he may not share the bounty of his labor with us, but he wants to show the pictures of it. He'll share it with his wife, maybe. <laughs> He'll bring home four or five fish and look at, look at, and, and listen, it's, 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 they get excited, right? 
because something good has happened and they want to share it. And listen, all of that is, it circles back to our spiritual walk because we, we are literally created to share the goodness of our life with people. We're not meant to be isolated. We're meant to be together. We're meant to do things together. We're meant to share the good things of life. And the problem is that we have, dis- we have been told by culture, and we've been told to, to keep quiet, don't let people in, guard our hearts from even the good in life, and just walk through life alone. And God says, no, 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 no. The good is to be shared. Life is to be shared. Life is to be walked through with people. So that way, when you're walking through the tough times, you've got an army of good, godly people ready to celebrate and to pray and to walk with you. That is living with an eternal purpose. I'm living every day knowing that I've got an opportunity to share eternity with somebody, even if it's in the smallest form. Maybe it's in the fact that you encourage when you're walking through a tough time. Maybe it's the fact that you pray for your boss uh, when they're being a jerk. Maybe it's that you build onto relationships in a godly way living with an eternal purpose. The third thing that this set of scripture shows us, the, the, the portion of eternal mindset, is that trials produce a more authentic faith. This is, that's, listen, nothing about that line sounds good. Trials produce an authentic faith. We don't like trials. I've never, 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 never met a person that says, I love sucky days. <laughs> you know, I've never met a person that goes, I wake up and I hope that I get challenged today. I've never met that person. I've never met the man that says, man, I hope I wake up and my wife wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. It's going to make our faith stronger. I've never met that man. I've never met that woman either that says, man, I hope my husband doesn't give me attention and, and love and, and leads me with a godly heart. I've never, I've never met that woman. I haven't. Because we don't, li- like, we don't like that. I haven't met the person that goes, man, I hope that I get the worst supervisor ever. It's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge my faith and make me not want to speak evil things, and God knows what I need. Right? It's, we don't pray for patience. We hate patience. And if we pray for patience, we're not getting patience. We're getting something bad in our life to produce patience. We don't like that. So when we hear things like trials produce authentic faith, and, and, and Peter writes this to the church that's already going through it. Could you imagine already going through it? Your life is already in danger. And he's saying, hey, trials are good. And it's like, you just want to give a big spiritual mm, to you. Peter, shut your mouth. You obviously haven't learned. Because what does he say? He says, listen. He says, may the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, even though he starts the sentence out, I hope you jump for joy, even though lately you've had to put up with the grief of many trials. But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes, for even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise and joy. Trials produce more authentic faith. God guards us, and he reveals the core of who we are in our faith. You cannot strengthen your faith without walking through some struggles. You can't. Because when all things are good, you don't really know who you are. Now, listen, it's not up for me to define your good and your bad. You're good in your struggle. Everybody, no matter who you are, will go through some struggles. 
whether it's identity struggle, whether it's just inward struggles, whether it's financial struggles, whether it's relationship struggles, whatever it is. And, and if you trust God, they will always come back to strengthening you spiritually because when, when you have relationship struggles, it, it challenges the, the inside of you. Am I going to put God first? And am I going to trust God's word that says, if I pray for my enemies, it's like heaping hot coals on them. If I pray for my enemies, God is going to take care of me. If I, if I put, and here's the thing, a lot of times, you know, within marriages you hear, well, how do I fix my spouse? You don't. Like, you don't. If, if it's up to you to fix your spouse, it will always remain broken. You don't have that power. But can you pray for them? Yes. Can you work on yourself? And, and, and here, here, here's the thing that we don't like about these kind of conversations is because maybe the trial is the fact that they are broken and wounded because of something you did, but you have bad communication, and so you don't talk it out. And instead of focusing in on yourself and how can I become the husband or wife that God has called me to be, we, we want to focus on the negative of them. And so we go, well, God, if you would just fix them, I would be a better person. Right? If, if, if my husband would just be attentive to the needs of the house a little bit more, instead of expecting me to just pick up everything and clean everything and do the dishes and yada, 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 if he would just give one little notice, then I would be blah, 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 blah. And the reality is, is, is and I can t- attest to this, and me and Stephanie would be, I, I think, very honest with our relationship. We've had very, very big ups, very big downs. We've never talked about divorce. We've never talked about calling it quits. That's not even in our vocabulary. But we've had moments in our our 20 years of marriage that have not been great. And we've had moments that have been absolutely amazing and everything in between. The reality is, is a lot of times it's these superficial things that we, we, don't, that we talk about, but we don't get to the, the bottom of what really is going on, and which is I'm not guarding and being the husband that God has called me to be. It has nothing to do with the dishes everything to do with seeing my wife. It has everything to do with, with partnering with her, with being a good spouse. She tells me all the time when we, when we get into those kind of conversations, it's your attractiveness isn't based off of your looks. It's about your attention and how much you love me and the kids. What a powerful line for a marriage. Bible says beauty will fade, right? We, we, we get old and, 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 and ugly. <laughs> I just listen, very few people get to be like George Clooney and 80 years old and still look amazing or Tom Cruise, okay? Most of us just get old and wrinkly and everybody forgets about us, okay? But my wife isn't gonna like divorce me because I'm not the 20-year-old she married. That's how old I was. I'm not the 20-year-old she married now. I'm like twice the 20-year-old she married. Okay? But in my mind, when things are struggling, it goes back to physical attraction because I'm a guy, right? So, so this is a whole other relationship a message that I probably need to preach at a different day, but it's the reality of where our mindset is is that we don't like trials and we don't like struggles because we don't want to get to the core issue because it produces things in us. 
that either we have to address or that we have to run from. And Peter says, listen, you're going to go through trials, but those trials are meant to make you a better believer. Those trials are meant to make you a better person. Those trials are meant to make you a better fill in the blank. Because when those trials happen, it produces something out of it that has been refined. How do you know that you're becoming closer to God unless you have been faced with something that normally I would have done this, but instead I did this? Normally I'd cuss this person out, but instead I kept my mouth shut. Normally, I would blame somebody, but instead I stood up and I and I and I I took on some ownership of my faults and I, I, I made them better. Normally, I would shift focus and I would skirt around and I would use humor to, to escape the circumstance, but instead, we talked it out. We struggle through these trials and these, uh, these moments and it produces a more authentic faith. When we struggle spiritually, it produces whether or not we're getting in his word and spending time with God. How do you know God's words in you? When you're pressed, something comes out. Just like a sponge, right? When you take a sponge and you dip it into something, it soaks up whatever that is. And so many times we want to say, oh, I, I, I'm, I love Jesus. I, I go to church and da, 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 da. And, and when you are squeezed through circumstances in life, what, who you are is going to come out. Are you full of negative thoughts? Are you full of, 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 of bad character uh, traits? Are you full of, of hiding instead of facing? Are you, are, do you use whatever? Do you, do you even, when you're squeezed, either God will come out or you will come out. The world will come out. Culture will come out. The question is, when you are squeezed, what have you been pouring into your spirit to come out. And that's what trials, that's why trials, that's what Peter says. When trials happen, it reveals the sterling core of your faith. It shows what God is building in you. The second theme, and, and this one is really the, the, the ending, the, to me, the, the meat of this chapter, a call to live holy. We talked a little bit about this with the teenagers on Thursday. So I want to read 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. It says this, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now... You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. Now, there's a lot to that. And I'm not going to break down all of them in super depth. But there were six things that God showed me in that set of scriptures about living holy, being called to holiness. And the first thing is you got to prepare your mind. Anytime we do anything, we prepare our mind. Anything. I mean, there is not one thing that you can say that you don't prepare your mind. If you're going to cook dinner, you got to prepare it. Even if it's just going to the store and finding something that's going to be in the microwave. Right? Even if it's just going to McDonald's because it's late. What? Right? You still got to prepare. 
You still got to have, what are you going to order? You got to look at the menu and you got to prepare. What am I going to order? There's always preparation in everything we do. If you go fishing, if you play sports, if you go to work, there's preparation, right? Every morning when, when, uh, when I go to my, my quote-unquote other job in my, my monkey suit and, and I, I clock in at 7.30, before we get started with the day, we have a meeting. It is to prepare our day. It is to sit around in, in a group of, of detectives with our captain, and he says, here's the three things you're going to focus on today. He prepares us, because if left just up to us, we'd read the reports, and we wouldn't deal with any of them. Ah, that's not important enough. What are you talking about? Her car got stolen. Like, ah, she'll find it. Which, by the way, most of the time in, uh, in, in Camden, it's because they left the keys in the car. Um, True story. 18 out of 18 times, the people left the keys in the car. Um, and so, but so my little tip to you is don't leave your keys in the car. Your car probably won't get stolen, okay? Uh, but we prepare. Why? Because he, our captain, is looking at all of the different reports, and he's saying these are the ones that are we are going to focus on and we are going to spend our time doing because they are the ones that need our attention. We've got to prepare our mind. Spiritually, every day, we need to prepare our mind. Can I, how many, and, 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 and you don't have to raise your hands, I'll raise, your, I'll raise our hands, my hands for all of us in saying this, because I was just thinking about this this week. I can tell when I've been with Jesus and when I haven't. Even if it's just one day. My spirit's off. My mind is off. Get a little short-tempered sometimes. And, and it's funny, because I had this moment uh, this week, and I was in our kitchen, and I was just, I was just, I would say I was on edge. Not, I don't yell, scream, hoop, holler. I don't, I'm just, but I can feel when I'm just on edge. Like everything, including a yappy little dog, my life, um, will set me off. Anybody want one? We've got one. He's beautiful. Okay, he looks like Bambi, but on small, so he even prances. I'm telling you, we'll give him, we'll take him. So, but no, you're not having Bosch. So listen, but, but, but the thing was, is that I could feel it in the kitchen and this thought came to me. Have you spent time with me today? Have I prepared my mind for the day? Have I allowed God to come in and set the tone for my life? Because if not, the alternative is your brain and your, and your, and your emotions are going to run on autopilot, which isn't good. You got to prepare your mind. You got to exercise self-control. Paul says that uh, all things may be lawful for me, but not all things are good for me, right? So I got to exercise what is best for me in my spiritual life. Watching that movie going to get you to hell, take you to hell? Probably not, but is it the best thing for you? Is it going to build you spiritually or is it going to tear you down and cause you thoughts? Is that relationship the best thing for you right now or is it just a band-aid? Is that friendship benefiting you or hurting you in your spiritual walk? You've got to exercise self-control in the things that you should and should not allow into your life in that moment. The third thing is you've got to put all your hope in Jesus, not just some of it. You can't just say, well, I hope in Jesus today, but tomorrow when everything's going okay, I'm hoping in myself. I've got this. God, you can take a day off. I got you. I'm putting all my hope in Jesus. Why? 
Because it's his gracious salvation. Because I can't earn heaven. Because I can't earn his grace. Because I can't earn his love. And I just got to put my hope in him because he's already given me all I need. The fourth thing is that you need obedience. So you must live as God's obedient children. Parents, how many times have you said this? Do this. And then the kid goes, why? Because my size foot, 10 and a half foot, doesn't want to hit your backside. No, what do you say? Because I told you so. Well, that's not a good enough answer, Dad. Because I know what's best for you. And even if I have this conversation, you're not going to agree with me. So you're going to do what I said because I'm protecting you. I didn't understand that until I became a parent. Right? And my guess is all of you parents didn't understand it until you became a parent. And that first time it came out of your mouth, you were shocked and awed and you almost wanted to beat yourself up because the inner child in you was going, I said I'd never be that guy. But you realize what your parents were saying to you was you wouldn't understand it even if I explained it to you and you wouldn't agree it if I explained it all to you. So I'm telling you, I'm protecting you because I love you and I'm asking you to do this. I'm trying to build character in you. I'm trying to build values in you. I'm trying to build you up into the man or the woman that you want to be and you just got to trust me. God says that to us all day long. God, I want you to do this. I don't know, God. Why? Because I love you. Because I'm protecting you. Because I'm building characters and values in you that you wouldn't want on your own. And so I'm asking you to do something even if you don't understand it. The very nature of parenting comes from God. And so the things that we say to our kids that are good come from God. Now, there's a time to sit down and explain to them, and if they'll under, but there's still times where you explain it and they go, Oh, I disagree. Okay. Sorry. Suck it up, Buttercup. This is what's happening. Because I'm laying down, because I have been given the authority of this household, and it is not a democracy. Me and my wife. We'll make the rules and you will live there in it because we love and protect you. If we, my wife says it all the time. If we, if we didn't love you, we'd let you do whatever you want. Once again, I did not understand that until I got older when I realized that all of my friends wanted to hang out with me and my parents, which I thought were the most strict people in the world. And I realized that, that they, were, they were wanting that because my friends' parents didn't care what they did or where they went. And they loved the fact that my parents had boundaries and guidelines and curfews, and I hated all of that. But I realized that they were building character and value and morals in me. The same way that God wants to do with you when he says, trust my word and trust my ways and be obedient. The fifth thing is don't turn back. He says, don't slip back into your old ways of satisfying your own desires. Don't turn back. Don't turn back to the, the things that you used to, uh, to numb the pain with. Don't turn back to the things that created comfort even, in the, uh, that, even if they were wrong. Don't turn back to the ways that were anti-God or before God because they will not provide the comfort and the love and the purpose that God has for you. Don't turn back. 
And the last thing within that set of scriptures is live holy. This is where I want to end it. Anna, you can come up. So, so we have these, these, these two things that, that Peter focuses on. Have an eternal mindset. Keep focused on, on the purpose that God has called you to. Praise is important. Living with eternal purpose is important. Understanding that trials produce authentic faith. And then he says, I'm calling you to a higher level of living, so prepare your mind. Exercise self-control. Put your hope in Jesus. Be obedient to God's will and word. Don't turn back. And then he ends all of this with, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who you chose is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. Does that sound daunting to anybody? I mean, just on a real level, tomorrow I want you to wake up and I want you to be holy. Like anybody else go, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. What does that mean? How do I get, because listen, because what do we think of when we first think of holy? We think of perfect. I can't be perfect. God didn't create me perfect. He may have created me perfect, but I lived in a flawed world. So I have these flawed character things that I've allowed in my life. I, I have these flawed morals and, 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 and these, these past decisions that have affected how I view my future decisions. So how can I wake up tomorrow and be holy? And it was interesting when I was studying what, what holiness looks like. To be holy is to be absolutely devoted to God in all we do. Demonstrating who he is to the world. Here's the cool part about holiness. It has nothing to do with you. But right, John writes, he says, I must decrease so that he must increase. Holiness is saying, I need less of me and my thinking, less of me and my wants, less of me and my desires, less of me and the things that I need to numb the, the circumstances and the pain and the hurt of my past. And I need God to come and invade more of me. Holiness has nothing to do with you. The only thing about holiness that has to do with you is your willingness to get out of the way and to say, God, I want to follow you in all that you do. That's what it says. Holiness is absolute devotedness to God. When you're the only believer in the room, are you absolutely devoted to God? Or are you afraid of what people may think? That's real. Like, it's tough going into, the, into a room where you know that you're the only one that thinks differently. I will say I get mocked. I don't get made fun of. I get mocked a lot for my faith, being in a secular world again. People that have no idea what our church is about mock our church. I, just so you know, they don't do. They, I don't think they do it in a harmful way, but or even in a mean way. But they do, and I could take it offensively, point my finger back at them, and call them all sorts of names. But the reality is, is that you know what? If I just continue, you know, one of the first things that was actually told to me when I when I joined the force was this: was you'll eventually cuss. I don't understand why that's one of your go-to things. 
And I told him, I said, no, I won't. Because see, it's not in my nature. Well, it's not in God's nature. And that's what I long for. And so therefore, when I'm squeezed, I have trained my spirit enough to know that I don't need those words to get my point across. It's not because I'm better than people. It's just, I've trained my spirit. The Bible says that clean and, 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 and salt water cannot come out of the same fountain. What he's talking about is not water. He's talking about your spirit and your mouth and your head. You cannot mix two different cultures and expect for clean godliness, holiness to come out. So you've got to train holiness into your life. Get into your word. Spend time in prayer with your God. People are always amazed. Chief has told me multiple times. We've gotten in circumstances where it's intense, like intense, like trying to force a six foot four, 200 and something pound dude into a car and he doesn't want to go. My five foot seven self is right in the middle of it. Snappy dappy do, baby. And listen, I'm, listen, this will always stick in my head. Even, I, I, I've learned so much about my spiritual faith walk in doing a lot of this. But one of the things that I remember is we, we were ending this. We got through all this. It took like 45 minutes to an hour to, to get this circumstance all done. And, and this was on a Saturday. Chief was not supposed to be working. He just happened to drive upon it. We get back to the station, and he's like decompressing. He's all like, doesn't that guy drive you insane? Yeah. Didn't you want to hit him? Yeah. Matter of fact, if you listen to the body cam, I tell him while he's handcuffed, I will tase you. And my sergeant looks at me and goes, because we don't do that. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> yeah. He goes, and how did you look so composed out there? And I looked at him and I said, you may have 20-something years in law enforcement that have taught you how to deal with bad people, but I've got over 20 years of following Jesus that has taught me how to handle people. And I'm not going to allow him and his bad choices to define who I'm going to be. I'm going to handle him the way that God has invested in my life to, to, to deal with people. Was I stern? Absolutely. Did I raise my voice? Absolutely. Did I take control of the circumstances? Absolutely. Did I degrade him? No. Hold him. Almost saves him. Holiness is giving God absolute devotion and demonstrating who God is to the rest of this world. The Hebraic, the Hebraic concept or the Hebrew concept of holiness is to be set apart. We are a people set apart for God. Grace has embedded holiness into our lives, yet we are to make right choices and yield to Christ, God's word, and it's the Holy Spirit lives in us. I love this statement that when I was studying holiness. Holiness is not merely actions we perform, but what we absorb and manifest as we live our lives in God's presence. You can only give out what you've been taken in. As I was saying that, it made me think of another um, experience. I pulled a lady over, young lady, boyfriend was in the car, baby was in the car. 
had no license plate. That was the easy, you shouldn't be on the road. I pull over, white officer, mixed, predominantly black young lady. I go up, I do my thing, you know, the thing that most of y'all hate when an officer comes up. Hey, I'm officer so-and-so with the Camden Police Department. Now, I don't ask, do you know why I pulled you over? Because that is just jerkish, by the way. I said, I pulled you over for da-da-da-da-da. Do you have your license? No, I don't. Like, you don't have it on you or you don't have a license? I don't have a license. Okay. I get her information. I run her information. I've got like three things I'm writing her a ticket for. Now, I could have, so y'all know, I could have pulled her out, towed her car, made a day really, really bad. Come back to her, I say, I'm, I'm giving you a citation for this, this, and this. I can't let you leave because you don't have a driver's license, you don't have insurance on your car. Do you have somebody who can come and pick you and your baby up? She says, yes. And then she starts crying. And I ask her, why are you crying? She goes, because I've been told my whole life to be afraid of you. Because culture has lied to her because of her color and her culture that I'm the bad guy, strictly because I wear a badge and I'm white. She goes, you have shown me that you care and you're a good person. See, culture can tell us all sorts of lies, but when holiness lives in our life, it's unexplainable to, and, 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 and undeniable to people that her whole life she's been told, be afraid of the officer, be afraid of the officer, be especially afraid of the white officer. They want to hurt you. They want to arrest you. They want to do bad to you. And she is crying and thanking me for writing her a citation, people. I walked away really confused. Never had anybody in their life thank me for that. I would never thank an officer for that. Just thank you for treating me with dignity and respect and showing me that you care. It's holiness. It's demonstrating God to the rest of the world. Holiness isn't perfect. It's, per, it's striving for that perfection, striving for that godliness. I, wanna, I just want to show the rest of the world this authentic, loving, caring God. That's how we're going to change the world. <laughs> so, will you pray with me? My prayer as we go through this Peter book is that we get encouraged that the same things that we walk through today, they were writing to the church 2,000 years ago and speaking truth and hope, encouragement and guidance. So Father, I pray that today that, that these two things, God, help us to live with the eternal mindset, that praise would roll off our lips, praise would be the, 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 the start and the focus of who we are. We celebrate you. The God, that we have an eternal posture that says that, that my eternity 
others' eternity is far more important than just the moment that I'm walking through. And though the moment I'm walking through is important and the struggles or the, the wins and the losses that I have are important and they're who I am, but God, I want to show people what eternal value looks like. And that God, that we would, be li- we would call to be lived holy. Just as your word says right there, God, we are to be holy as you are holy. And, it's, and it is that idea that I just want to represent you well to a culture and a world that is running from you that needs to hear of your truth and of your love and of your purpose that you have for them. God, that I could be a representative for the kingdom of God. And I would show off your character. But I gotta, the only way I can show off you is by taking more of you in, by drawing close to you. And so God, I pray that for each and every one of us that this week, God, we would would challenge ourselves to draw close to you, challenge ourselves to change some of the things in our life that maybe just aren't all that great and do not line up with your values and your will and your word. God, daily help us to, to tweak our spirit to draw closer to your will. I pray that over us. God, give us opportunities to speak of your goodness, to live out your goodness, to, to speak of who you are in our lives. And God, to invite them in, whether it's over coffee or whether it's inviting them to Sunday service, God, that we would be representatives of your kingdom and of your holiness. God, I thank you for those that financially help support this house, your house as we serve our community, as we love our community, as we put forth the best capability of our church to to honor you with everything we do, including our finances. I thank you for those that partner with your will of what you say our finances should look like. Bless them. God, take this week. God, bless us, but help us to be blessings. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.